morning, Sugar Creek family. It is always a blessing to worship with you guys and to open the Word of God together and to study the Word of God together. If you're tuning in online or if you are at Richmond, Rosenberg, Missouri City or Sugarland Campus, we want to uh, let you know that we love you. We're thankful that we get to be a part of your life. Uh, as many of you know, our lead pastor uh, takes usually the month of July to rest and to be with family and be energized. So today is the first Sunday that he is out uh, for that. So I want to encourage you to, in the next couple of weeks, pray for him. Ask the Lord to give him, continue to give him wisdom and strength so that he can continue to lead this church as well as he has led it for the last 20 uh, years. But today we are going to continue the sermon series that he started last week. And the title of this series is Power Living. And so we're trying to discover and understand how there is power in God's plan for our lives and in very specific areas of our lives. And today, we are going to discover that there is power in God's plan for our sexuality. That is right, ladies and gentlemen, somehow I landed this subject. And so today at church, we are going to talk about SEX. And so if your children are with you and you're tuning in online, I'm going to let you decide what is best for your family. Uh, I feel like this sermon is pretty PG, but I still I'm going to let you decide. If you are at any of our worship rooms at any of our campuses and your children are with you and you feel like, well, that's going to be an awkward lunch today, I was not prepared for this, then I want you to know that we have an amazing children ministry, our crickets ministry, uh, are ready to help you out. So in a moment, I can give you a pretty discreet sign uh, when it's a good time for you to slip out and go towards our children ministry, and they will see the look on your face, and they will know exactly why you are there, and they will help you out. All right? So today, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and so I want to ask you to open your Bible there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And oh, by the way, that is my discreet sign for you. Maybe this is a good time. If you need to sleep out and take your children, do that now. But listen, uh, before we read the text, uh, I want to uh, just give you a little bit of context to it so that we can understand the text better and therefore the sermon that God has for us better. Uh, what we are going to read is not an isolated te text. It is in light of all scriptures. And it is also a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in a, in a city called Thessalonica. Right? The city was a part of the Roman Empire, and because of that, it was under the Greco-Roman influence. That meant that they worshipped many gods and many idols. That also meant that uh, they taught in that culture that you are to follow the desires of your heart, that you are to follow the desires of your flesh, and whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do because uh, that's what your heart wants. Okay? That's the culture that Paul is writing to. But before he wrote the letter, a few years before that, he actually spent some time in this city and he helped this church get started and, and he taught the gospel to them. And now he's hearing reports of how incredibly well these people were living the Christian life. And so in the letter, you see how he's praising God and encouraging the Christians to continue to live differently and to continue to abandon the idols that they had and to continue to pursue God because this is good for them. And in chapter 4, where we're going to read or uh, uh, talks about how uh, they were to continue to please God in three areas, in, in their sexuality, in their work life, but also as they prepare for eternity. But today, we're going to focus on the part that he talks about their sexuality. And we're going to discover how there is power in God's plan for our sexuality. 
Now, I also want to say this before I read the text. I already said it, but I want to mention it again. Uh, this letter was written to Christians, okay? It was written for believers. And so what that means is that the Apostle Paul, neither I do I, expected uh, people outside of the church to act this way or to embrace this teaching because he knew, he says this clearly, that they didn't have the power of God in them, so they couldn't live this way. They, they were going to follow the desires of their flesh and of their hearts. So as, you, as we go through the sermon, remember that he knew uh, that this letter was written for Christians. And so Christians were expected to live this way. The second thing that I want to uh, mention is that from beginning to end in this letter, we find the glorious message of the gospel, the message that says that we're all broken and we're all messed up and we all need grace and forgiveness. And so what you'll see is not Paul judging and condemning people for behavior, but pointing people to this glorious message because it is the only place where we can have, find hope and freedom. That's what you are going to see. So keep that in mind as we go through the sermon. And the third thing that I want to mention is that my job today is not to provide a sex ed class. And my job today is not even to give you practical advice on how to do or not to do certain things. We have resources that can help you with that. If you need those, we will gladly help you. We have plenty of pastors here that could help you out with that. But my job today is to show you through scripture that God has a plan for our sexuality and there is power in us living in that plan and also where that power is found. And so with that in mind, I want to walk you through this text and I want to give you uh, what I believe uh, Paul gives us three reasons for, for why there is power in God's plan for our sexuality. And the first reason is found in verses one through three and is this, that there is power in God's plan for sexuality because it helps us get to the end goal. Let me read those verses to you so that you understand what I mean by that. It says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see that uh, with the word finally, he's transitioning towards the end of his letter. And as he transitions to the end of the letter, he one more time celebrates in the letter the fact that they are living well, that they are pleasing God with their lifestyle. And he says, you guys continue to do so. You are doing a great job walking in Christ. You continue to do that. And he gives them the reason why. He says, because this is the will of God. This is the will of God for your life. And many, many people wonder often, they ask the question, I want to know what is the will of God for my life? And it's stated there, right there, clearly. Now, you may want to know what the will of God is for your life in a particular decision, or in a particular area of your life. But uh, ultimately, God has one will and one plan for us, and it's right there. It says, it's our sanctification, is what it says. That is ultimately what he wants to accomplish in us. And so if that's the will of God for our lives, then I think it's important that we understand what that word means. The word sanctification in the Greek is the word hiasmos, and the root word for that word is the word hiaus. It can also be translated as holy. 
And so uh, this word is actually often used to speak of God, and it means to be set apart, to be unique, to be different, to be special in a good way. Okay, so that's what it means. And so it often says that God is holy, and it often, in the Bible, it says that we should be holy because God is holy, that we should be like he is. And so what God has in mind is that one day we become like him, that we're holy and perfect like he is, that we don't experience sin or the consequences of sin anymore because we are perfectly made like he is perfect. And so the end goal that he has for us is that, that sanctification. The Bible teaches that one day we will be glorified with God. One day we will be in his presence in a place where there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no suffering if we have Jesus Christ in us. But the reason why there won't be those things is because we won't have sin in our hearts anymore. And so that's what we look forward to. Now, in order for that to happen, there are a couple of things that have to happen first. And the first thing that has to happen is what the Bible calls justification. We also refer to that as our salvation. We have to come to a moment in which we understand that we are broken, that we have sin in our hearts, that we cannot save ourselves, but that God in his mercy made a way for us, that he sent his precious son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we should have died, died in our place to pay for our sins, so that if we place our faith in him, then our sin can be forgiven and we can enter into a relationship with God. And so we're justified in that moment. That means we are set apart to one day be with God. Now, there is this gap between the moment in which we are saved and the moment in which we are in the presence of God where everything is perfect. And it's a big gap, and it's where most of us are right now. That process in between those two things is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's the process by which every single day, if we let him, he makes us better and makes us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he uses the Bible, and he uses the teaching of the Bible, and he uses songs, and he uses other believers so that we live behind certain behaviors, and we're more like Christ every single day until he makes us perfect like his son, Jesus Christ. So God's end goal for us is our certification. God's goal for us is to rescue us, to sanctify us, and to make us perfect for eternity. Now here's the problem. While we are in the process, you and I struggle with these sinful bodies, and we also have an enemy around us that is looking to devour us and tempting us in different ways because he doesn't want us what God has for us. And on top of that, we have a society and a world that we live in that bombards us constantly with temptations and different thoughts. And, and between those three things, between our flesh and the enemy and the world, we're constantly pulled away towards our own desires and not towards the end goal that God has for us. What our hearts want normally is gratification. We want to be satisfied in a moment. And we think that if we have something, if we have things, if we try this, then we will be gratified. We will be content. We will be happy. And so our hearts constantly are looking for that gratification. And one of those areas is in our sexuality. You see, the problem is that our hearts are deceitful. And even though our hearts tell us that there is happiness here, or there is gratification here, while there might even be gratification for a few seconds, sometimes that leads in the long haul for, to pain and to suffering. Not only that, but it drifts us away from the end goal that God has for us. So when God gives us boundaries and he gives us a plan for certain areas of our lives, including our sexuality, it's because he's a good God and he has that end goal in our mind. 
See, while our hearts are constantly looking for gratification, God is constantly thinking about our sanctification. God is more concerned about our eternal sanctification than he is about our temporary gratification. He wants what is best for us, and we have to trust that. If you have children, you would understand this. My wife and I have been blessed with three precious children, and and if you have children, you know that you cannot say yes to everything that your children want. And they might think that is the best thing for them, and they might think that it's going to make them happy in that moment, but you know that if you give them that one thing in that particular moment, it's not necessarily going to be good for them. And so because you love them and because you care for them, you have to say no. You have to set boundaries. You have to say, this is not good for you. And sometimes they get mad, they get frustrated, and they get angry, but you know that's okay because you have an end goal in mind. See, the same is true with our heavenly father. He loves us and he has an end goal for us and he knows what is best for us and he's looking all around and he has that end goal in mind. And while sometimes we want something that is gonna bring us temporary gratification, he's always thinking there is an end goal and it's your sanctification. He wants what is best for us. And so we have to understand what is God's plan for our sanctification. And according to this text, we see that God's plan for our sanctification includes that we abstain from sexual immorality. That word abstain means to refrain from from something, to not practice something. And the two words, sexual immorality, are actually just one word in the Greek language. It's the word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. And it's a word that includes a lot of things. In fact, it includes so many things that, 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 that translators and scholars have to just come to this term, sexual immorality, uh, to try to include everything that the word includes. There is not one word in the English dictionary that translates everything that porneia includes in the Greek dictionary. And so we have to look at it in the context of all scriptures. And when you look at the word porneia, the word sexual immorality, in all of scripture, what you come to understand, what scholars agree on, is that it includes absolutely everything that is outside of God's original plan for sex. God created sex. It doesn't say don't enjoy sex or abstain from sex even. It says abstain from sexual immorality. But God created sex for our enjoyment, but he created sex for our enjoyment in a particular context. And so what we have to do is look at that context when God created sex. God created sex in Genesis chapter 2 when there was no sin in the world, when everything was perfect and human beings had a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with each other. He created a man, he created a woman, and he brought them together before him in a loving union, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. That's when he created sex. And so everything else that we have made sex to be comes after Genesis chapter three, which means it comes after sin entered the world. So everything else that is outside of that context, a union between a man and a woman before God, married before God, that has sex, is under the category of porneia. Now, I know that when I say that, there are some people who are gonna go, ah, you know, those Christians are always judging. There are some people who immediately are gonna go and try to point, pinpoint the sin of somebody else. But before you do any of those two things, what I want you to understand is that what God wants us to see in this text is that every one of us human beings are capable of, and most likely at some point or another in our lives guilty of, having committed sexual immorality. In other words, having stepped outside of the boundaries that God had for sex. Because it's not just action, it is also thought. 
Because the problem is not an action necessarily. It's the problem is what's in our hearts. And it's not me saying this. This is what Jesus himself said. In Matthew chapters uh, 5, through, uh, we find uh, uh, what uh, we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus preached, the very best sermon ever preached. And, and in that uh, sermon, uh, Jesus uh, addresses a lot of the commands that we find in the Old Testament, but from a different perspective. He shows how the problem is in our heart. He, he shows that those commands are there to protect us from the issues that are in our own hearts and that we're all capable of those issues. And so I want you to see what Jesus said about sexual immorality in that sermon. Look at what he says in uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. It says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, we're not going to split hairs here and say, well, he's talking to men only. That, that's not the case. Again, the point is that what God wants us to see is that we have deceitful hearts. And so following the desires of our hearts, following the desires of our flesh in many areas of our lives, including in our sexuality, is not the best idea. So God, out of love, gave us a plan for our sexuality because that's what's going to help us get to the end goal, that sanctification. Now that leads me to the second reason why there is power in God's plan for our sexuality. And there is power in God's plan for sexuality because it protects us and others from harm. I want you to see verses four through six right there in First Thessalonians four, it says this, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger. In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So what we have to understand is that God created human beings in his image. And he wants human beings to be protected, and he wants to care for human beings. So many times when he gives us boundaries, when he gives us commands, when he gives us instructions, it's because he's trying to protect humanity. He's trying to protect lives. That's why he says don't lie, because people get hurt when you lie. That's why he says don't steal, because people get hurt when you steal. That's why he says don't kill, because people get hurt when you kill. Right? So he's saying all these boundaries are there to protect humanity. And the boundaries that he gives us for our sexuality are also there to protect us and to protect others from harm. Many times we think that there is no harm, but there is harm where you don't think there is harm. A, a few years ago, uh, I went on a fasting retreat with the senior leadership staff of the church that I was a part of before I came to Sugar Creek. We would do this every year in the summer. We'd get away for five days to pray and seek the Lord. And for five days, we didn't have any food. We didn't have any contact with our family. We didn't have any emails. We left work uh, in the hands of God and the rest of the staff, and we just pray and sought after the Lord. And it's incredible what happens when you say no to all those things just to meet with God. And in this particular occasion, we went to the mountains of Colorado. We were in a nice uh, place there in the middle of the mountains. And on day four of this fasting retreat, uh, I was walking and just kind of meditating on scripture. And I, I saw a trail that seemed to lead to the top of a hill that I've been wanting to climb since day one, uh, since we got there. I figured that if I got to the top of that hill, I would get an incredible view of the mountains and an incredible view of the city. And so I wanted to climb it. And so here I am on day four, this fasting retreat going, you know what? This is the last day. Tomorrow we go back home. I don't know if I'll ever be back here. This is my chance to get that view that I'm trying to get. 
But common sense or the spirit of God or one of the two said, you know what? This is day four of you not having anything but water in your stomach. You are weak. Not only that, there is altitude in Colorado that you're not used to. Not only that, but you're saying, I'm going to hike even higher now. And not only that, but you're in the middle of the mountains and there's nobody around. But I said, you know what? This is the last day. I'm going to climb this hill. And so I began to climb. And every so often, I, I would go. I took my time because I was weak. But every so often, I would, I would see a spot and think, you know, I think that's the top. If I can make it to that spot right there, I can be able to get the view that I'm trying to get. And so I would try my best and get to that, that spot only to find out that that was not the top, that I had to keep going. And so I would get to that spot and see, oh, actually, that's the top over there. And so I would continue going and going, get to that spot only to find out that that was not the top either. I had to keep going. And so I did this for about an hour or so. I'm hiking and going up and I'm tired, I'm weak, I don't have anything in my stomach. And I finally get to a point where I see, man, this has to be the top. I, I mean, look at it, that, that has to be the top. I'm already seeing the view, this looks great. And so I'm just gonna get there. And as I look up one more time, just to see where I was going, I see on top of that mountain, a mountain lion looking down. And so I was paralyzed for a few seconds. But then I decided I was not going to wait to see what his next move was going to be. And you, I know that you're not supposed to turn your back on wild animals or run away from them when you encounter them in their natural habitat, but you better believe that that is exactly what I did. I was scared for my life, so I ran for my life. It took me about an hour to get to that spot. It took me about five minutes to get to the bottom of that hill. I don't know where I got the energy from, but I made it, I survived, and by God's grace, uh, my life was spared. But as I got to, to my cabin, and I'm just kind of still flustered and trying to comprehend what just happened, what I just saw, and all of this, I felt like the Lord was teaching me a valuable lesson. And many times there are areas in our lives where we just wanna get a little farther, that if we try a little bit more, but we don't realize that there might be dangers out there waiting for us that he's trying to protect us from. And you better believe that our sexuality is one of those things. See, the Bible teaches that the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. The Bible, Jesus himself taught that the enemy is looking to, to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He doesn't want us to experience the life that God has for us. And one of the things that he's going to use to lure us in is our sexual desires. He's going to ask us to follow the desires of our flesh so that we are looked, lured away from what God has for us and into dangerous territory. And I want you to know that sin will always, always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And it will keep you there longer than you wanted to be. Always. You give the enemy an inch and he will take a mile. He will do it. And so God, out of love for us, puts boundaries around us so that we can be protected to protect us and to protect others around us. Because here's the deal, sexual immorality among God's people harm those who participate in it. And it's not only those who participate in it. Sexual immorality among God's people also hurts those who are around it. I think all of us have seen the devastation that sexual sin can bring. And we always think it happens to other people, but it's never going to happen to us. And we have seen how a simple click eventually leads to an addiction that a person cannot break free from until they get caught and there is harm and suffering. And how uh, 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 just a simple, uh, flirtful com conversation ends up in a full-blown adulterous relationship that hurts a marriage and hurts a family. 
It always starts small, but it will always end up hurting you and hurting those around you. We have seen the devastation that this kind of sin can bring to an individual, to a marriage, to a family, to a church, to a community. And that's why God puts boundaries around us. And that's also why the Apostle Paul said in another letter, in the letter to the Corinthians, he said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then he goes on to show us and to remind us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see, he says, flee from sexual immorality. See, we, we tend, this is how we operate as human beings. In this area and in other areas of our lives, we tend to try to get as close to the edge as we possibly can. And, and, and maybe not cross over, but maybe I'm right there on the edge. And we ask questions like, well, well, I know that over there is not allowed, but is this allowed? Is this okay? Or we say things like, you know, I know that, that, that that's bad over there, but at least I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that like that other person. And so we want to live as close to the edge as we possibly can pursuing the desires of our flesh and what you know is that again it's only a matter of seconds where we you will fall and that's why Paul says flee and that word flee literally means run as fast as you can in the opposite direction just like I did from that mountain lion you run from sexual immorality because it can harm you and it can harm those around you it's there to protect us and that leads me to the third thing that I believe God wants us to see in this text. I think there is power in God's plan for sexuality also because it is evidence of God's presence in our lives. It brings glory to God. Look, look at what it says in verses 7 and 8. It says this, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says, listen, God has called you and he has set you apart, not so that you can continue to do the same things and be trapped in the same things that you were trapped before, not so that you can continue to uh, be trapped in sinful actions that are not going to take you where you need to go. He has called you from that so that you can live a different lifestyle, so that the power of God can be manifested in your life and through your life, so that it is evident to you and to people around you that there is a powerful God living inside of you I believe there are many people who are not experiencing the joy the freedom the contentment the happiness the miraculous power that God wants you to experience because there are things in your heart you, you have not surrendered to God and you're quenching the spirit and many of those sins is has to do with sexuality it's one of those things that people try to keep in secret and they think as long as nobody knows, everything is going to be okay. But what you don't realize is that the enemy is using that secret and that sin in darkness to, to hold you back from what God wants to do in your life, from what God wants to do through your life and you're not experiencing the power of God like you could because you're holding that still. See, in a few verses in that letter, Paul is gonna say that we human beings have the ability to quench the spirit of God. And what that means is that we limit what God can do in our lives and through our lives through our sinful actions. And so in order for us to experience the power of God, we have to say no to our desires and we have to believe and trust that his plan is better for us, that his ways are better for us and therefore we surrender to his plan, including in this area. 
Man, and I believe when we stop walking in the flesh and we start walking in the spirit, then the fruit of the spirit is gonna flow out of us. And people will be able to see that there is a powerful God living in us. Now I will say this, this doesn't mean that you're gonna be popular and that you're gonna be celebrated. In fact, it could mean the opposite of that. It could mean that that person that you love will break up with you. It could mean that, that, that you're gonna to have to confess things that are gonna bring some pain and some suffering, but in the end goal, and it's gonna be for your good. See, when we choose to live for the glory of God and not for our desires, sometimes people are not gonna like that. Joseph, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, said no to a woman because she was married, because he wanted to please God. And this woman falsely accused him, and he ended up in prison for a number of years for doing the right thing. But see, God used all that time in prison to ultimately fulfill his plan, and God was preparing him for something greater. So even if it's painful, even if it's difficult, God will always work it out for your good because when we live according to his plan, we're giving evidence that the power of God is in us. And that leads me to the last thing that I want you to see in this text. That is that the power of God is in you already, that you don't have to do this on your own. The last thing that I believe God wants us to see through this text is that the gospel is what gives us access into the family of God, but also it's what gives us the power to live differently on this earth. I also think that a lot of people don't experience the power of God in their lives because they're trying to do it in their own efforts. They think that the gospel is for for that moment of justification, that the gospel is the message that says that if you believe in Christ, you're safe, and one day you will be in eternity with God. And yes, that is the gospel, but that is not all the gospel. The gospel is also for our sanctification. We think that the gospel is for our salvation, and then it is up to us to behave and to be better and to impress God and to sanctify ourselves. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the gospel is enough for our salvation, but it is also the power for our sanctification. And what that means that in the same way that we couldn't save ourselves, we cannot sanctify ourselves. But it also means that in the same way that God, out of love, made a way way for us to be justified, he will make a way for us to be sanctified. He will do it. And so if you believe the power of the gospel, you can break free from whatever it is that your body is entrapped in and whatever it is that you feel like you cannot break free from because the power of God is in you. I want you to see that it is in his power and his ability that not is in ours. This portion of scripture that we're studying today is not an isolated text. We have to look at it in light of the whole letter and in light of all scriptures. And I wanna read to you the beginning of the letter so that you see how Paul has been saying from the very beginning that the only way we can live this way is through the power of the gospel. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses six through eight. He says this, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. He says the power came to you, the power of the gospel came to you, and in the Holy Spirit, and you saw the power of the gospel in our lives, and you saw how we were living a different lifestyle, and because of that, you believed that gospel, and the gospel came to you, and you became imitators of us, but ultimately, what you're doing is becoming, becoming imitators of the Lord himself. You are becoming like Christ in and through the power of the gospel. 
I want you to know that God will do it until he's done with you and you're in his presence in a perfect place. I want you to see what he says at the end of the letter now. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. If he began a good work in you, then you believe that he will complete it. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we don't have to save ourselves, that he saves us. And the beauty of the gospel also says that we don't have to sanctify ourselves. He can sanctify us if we trust in him, if we place our faith in him, and we let him do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, when I met my wife and we got married, we, we were very young. And because we were young, her, her parents weren't prepared for us to get married. And and they, they, they let us know that, and we talked, and it's not that we did anything against their will or anything like that. Eventually, we came to, to an, a good agreement. And, but and now looking back, I think they, they were right. We were young. But by God's grace, now 16 years later, God has been faithful, and he, we're still here, and God has been good, and we've learned a lot and grown together. But in those first few years of our marriage, I lived with this pressure, this tension. I felt like... I needed to impress my in-laws. I felt like I needed to prove to them that I was worthy of being with my wife, that I could take care of my wife. I felt like it was all on me to show them that, that, that I could do this. And so for the first few years of our marriage, I lived with this pressure. And so every time they would come visit our 529-foot apartment, I would make sure that that place was spotly, I mean, it was clean as it could be. And every time they came to visit, I, I would stock our, our one cabinet pantry with as much food as we can I could so that they would know that I'm taking care of my wife. And sometimes I would even uh, say, hey, let's go shopping and, and buy her some clothes so that she would buy half nice clothes on her new clothes so that they would know that I was taking care of my wife. I was trying to impress them. But every time, inevitably, I, I, I would fail in some area or something would come out that would remind me and them that, that I'm not perfect and they don't have it all together, and then, yes, maybe I was too young to be married. But now, 16 years later and three kids later, I have a different perspective, completely different perspective. Not that I don't care what they think. I just come to a point where I think they've come to accept me because they have no choice, right? At this point, what can they do? No, really, I, I, I believe they love me, and they love my wife, and they love our children, and they want what is best for, it, for us. And so my perspective of them is different now. Now, I'm not just like constantly with this pressure trying to impress them. In fact, there are areas of my life when I need help. I am open and vulnerable and say, would you help me? A few years ago, I went through a difficult time. And one of the people that helped me navigate through that and helped me make wise decisions was my father-in-law. And I called him many times and he was gracious and he helped me out. Not only that, but also my mother-in-law comes and helps us take care of the kids all the time. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I are going to go on a mission trip where we're going to minister to a few missionary couples that are going through a difficult time, and we're going to be able to invest in the women, and she's going with me to do that and invest in the men, and I'm going to be able to do that. But while we're doing that, somebody has to take care of our kids. And so what do we do? We call my mother-in-law, and we, just say, we say, could you come and help us? And she graciously agreed to do that. And you know, when she comes, she's going to be in our house for a little over a week with 
all three of our children. And that means that things are not going to be perfect. That means that there's gonna be a mess here and there. That means that the kids are gonna disobey every so often. And that means that they're gonna use the restroom and stink up the house because that's what my kids do, right? And so that means that everything that I often try to cover up and pretend that is perfect is gonna be for there for them to see. But I know that my mother-in-law is not there to judge me. She's there to help. And so she's gonna come in and instead of judging me for what's going on, she's gonna come in and help clean the mess. See, I think that's the way that we have to start seeing God in this area and in every area of our lives. I think there are many people who are trapped and, and they cannot break free from what they're trying to break free from and they, they cannot enjoy the life that God has for them because they think it is up to them to please God and so they try hard and hard and hard to break free from all these things and they keep falling over and over again and they think God is mad at them and they think that God is judging them but that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that God knew that you were messed up, that he knew that you were broken and even though he knew that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in our play in your place and if he died in your place then he can give you the power to live differently so he's not there looking at your mess and saying when are you gonna get yourself together he's saying would you let me in and open every closet in your heart so that I can come in and clean it and so that I can come in and give you the freedom that you need to experience and there are many of you there are many of you who need to do that for the first time there are many of you who would you be mad at God because you think that God is this person out there that is, you, you have to please and you have to impress. And today you understood that that's not the gospel. The gospel said God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. All you have to do is say, come and clean my mess. And he would gladly do it. If you want that in your life, I want to invite you to let us know so we can help you. If you are at any of our campuses, we have a Next Step Center and we're ready to help you out. If you are tuning in online, we have an online pastor there and chat host ready to talk to you. Let somebody know that you need Jesus in your life and we will help you with this. But I will say this, there are many of you who have already believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even though you have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ for your salvation, you still have not believed the gospel in some areas of your heart for your sanctification. You're trying to do it yourself. You're trying to fix yourself. And today, God has shown you, hey, I have a plan for you that is better, but he has to start with you submitting to that plan and trusting that I can do it in you, trusting that my spirit in you can do it, and therefore being vulnerable and letting somebody know and letting God himself know that you need help and surrender that fully to him. I could stand here all day and give you practical advice on what to do, what not to do, but if you're doing it in your own power, you will fall back over and over again. So it has to start with you giving that particular area of your heart to the Lord and trusting that the gospel is enough. And so if you wanna do that, and my prayer is that today is the day that the Lord will set you free. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We're so thankful that you love us so much to put boundaries around the freedoms and the joys that you give us. And God, we thank you that your word teaches us that those boundaries are there to help us get to the end goal, that you wanna sanctify us and make us holy like you are. God, we thank you that those boundaries are there to protect us and others from harm. And we thank you that those boundaries are there so that when we live under that, we can experience your power and your presence and other people can see that there is a mighty God out there. 
God, I pray that you give us humility to trust that your ways are better than ours and therefore that we surrender to you, that we trust you and that we trust that the gospel is enough to take care of all of our issues. And so we surrender all of those to you. We love you and we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen and amen.